This is Mick Strawn again with Rabbit Hole. Uh, I'd like to introduce my guest today. This is Mark Showstrom. He worked with me back in the day. Uh, and uh, probably the last time I talked to him would have been on the set of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3. And uh, you know what? I'm going to let him introduce himself and what he did on Nightmare on Elm Street 3. And then we're going to kind of go from there. How about that? Oh, no. I have to introduce myself. Yes, you do. Well, I'm five foot nine. I've got blonde <laughs> hair. This oh, isn't a sorry. dating service. Wrong. It's not a dating service. <laughs> Wrong or, one. Or if it is a dating service, it's not much of a dating service. <laughs> well, you never know. Um, no, I. Uh, <laughs> not these days. Um, if you're in, if you're in the horror film community, you you probably have seen a few of my movies. Uh, Elm Street was uh, actually was one of the most fun movies I've worked on, and. Uh, one of the better ones, actually. And uh, contributing makeup effects were Greg Canham, Kevin Yeager, and myself. And uh, stop motion by, um, gosh, my brain is going crazy. Doug Beswick. Oh, that's, that's right. It was Doug Beswick. Doug the job. Yeah, that film was so full of, well, you know, you were there. So full yeah. of <laughs> makeup effects, animation, digital, not digital, but back then called um Green screen. Optical uh, effects, optical green effect. screen, blue screen. Yeah, I remember a lot of blue screen. I remember that because uh, <clears throat> for some reason, the blue screen, that sodium or whatever the hell was coming off of it, always made oh, me feel queasy, kind of oh. sick, you know. And we had a huge one. I mean, it was yeah, 40, big, by, uh, 40 by 20 feet, uh, backlit 40 by 20 feet. It was uh, literally in the parking lot. It was so big. And no, uh, I remember that well. And why? Why did it make people feel queasy? That oh, what, guy, I was sick all night from that. Oh, it was just. Yeah. Well, you, l- let me tell you how they did that. The the thing is, is it's hard to imagine these days when we do it so easily. Uh, what the scale of just this blue, just the screen by itself. It was um, two banger lights four foot uh, fluorescence. If you can imagine making a field of them, one right next to the other, that is 40 feet wide and 20 feet high, just solid, just solid bulbs. And then putting a translucent screen in front of it uh, to, to make a backlit uh, chroma key blue screen. It was such a huge glow of blue. Uh, it just absolutely it made you sick all night long maybe that was it just the glowing blue and it's not like for anybody who's never been in front of a blue screen it's not pleasant like looking at a big blue sky there's this uh (laughs) very unnatural about it i can't it's 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 sort sort of feels like being right next to the sun (laughs) yeah exactly it really does no and i suppose uh a lot of the reason for the size of that was because of the uh, optical effects involving the sets. Am I correct? That's right. Just because we were injecting the whole sets into them. And at that point, at that point you didn't have CGI so that you could break things down into bits and, and pull it all together. You were, you were literally filming in order to, in order to put something inside of something like, for instance, we had Joey, uh, you know, uh, held on 
um, the snake bed thing. Yeah, the snake bed thing, and it was mounted sideways. And and the thing is, is you needed to have a screen that was the size of whatever frame you were going to be replacing it with, right? And that's that's why it was that big. I mean, what a crazy concept that, that you it would. Was, it was a, as far as an independent film, that was really ambitious and really big. And it was all, as I recall, in that uh, big rented building near Chinatown, right by the uh, right by the jail. The jail bond place. Right by the jail, because we'd go out to the taco truck for breakfast, and there'd be like a line <laughs> of guys that just got released from custody. That's right, the Chris. <laughs> really? <laughs> Wait a minute. I I I was telling TJ about this not long ago. I was saying we would be standing out there, and the and they would have weekend jail back then. Remember that? And and yeah. on Monday, on, on Monday we could stand there, and the entire grip department would walk out of the jail, straight across the street, and into the stage. Oh, perfect! <laughs> wow, and how convenient could, is that? Man? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. I mean that that kind of sums up the eighties right there. <laughs> yeah. No, I. Actually, I love the fact that they shot the whole thing at that stage in Chinatown because that was 10 minutes from where, my studio and where I live. So I could just literally hop in the car 15 minutes before call time and make it and no sweat. There's never any traffic. And uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we were right beautiful. there. Oh, yeah. It's, it's like you were you were like four or five streets over, man. That was that was it. Now, yep. look, which 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 parts were you uh, directly involved in? Let me see here. The uh, the main one I was involved with got never got filmed. That was the the, the baby that Patricia Arquette is carrying the oh, for a couple minutes, and that's then right. uh, Joey when the- he gets uh, uh, we'll get into that in a minute. <laughs> yeah. Joey when he gets the "Come and Get Him, Bitch" written on his chest, and uh, I'm looking at <laughs> photos here to remind me Patricia Arquette. <laughs> Uh, cutting her wrist, her attempted suicide, and Brooke Bundy's severed head. With oh, right. Mother with Freddie scene and right. the uh, come and get him, bitch, whole uh, Jennifer body through the TV, which apparently is one of the most popular kills in the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Yeah, and yeah. There you go. That was it. Uh, Chuck Russell actually wanted me to do the Freddie snake because he'd seen From Beyond. Right. I did a big mechanical monster, and I was just really exhausted from from Beyond and Evil Dead back to back. I had a week, literally Saturday and Sunday off between those two, and it was just you know several, how many nine or ten months straight grueling mechanical heavy duty work, and I just didn't want to do the snake. So yeah, the snake Kevin was such that. a and, uh, yeah, it was very cool. Kim did yeah. a great job. It was a uh, but uh, I, I remember. With Joe, with Joey, that <laughs> as as you guys were working with that, uh, we were kept having discussions because it went on for hours and hours and hours and hours, right? Oh, all those effects rigging took took oh. half a day, and yeah, and I and I think I remember Joey. We had him uh, down through a fake bed, and he had a a chest glued to him. With these mechanical kind of reverse soda can tabs that Bob Kurtzman designed, and he uh, had to say stay there just immobile for you know half a day before they got around to shooting it. And yeah, I and I had was always shooting you know five other things. Right. Oh, absolutely. And I, and I remember I <laughs> at some point at some point there was nobody around 
because he was just sitting there waiting for, for us to get a camera free. And, uh, and he has this appliance on him and he can't move. He literally can't move. And, um, I had, I, I had to go, I had to go under and, um, take, help him take care of business. Oh, you did really? That that sounds like a story in itself. (laughs) Well, yeah, it was, you know, because details, but yeah, because we remember we actually did, we, I think that we did the final one of those. Uh, on the reshoot that uh, that was done about two weeks after the main yeah shooting, yeah, I sort of remember that yeah. right. And uh, we just didn't have that many people there. I mean, you know, it's uh, y- you couldn't call a PA because uh, literally er- everybody was doing something. I think that we shot something like uh, twenty nine hours or something. It's wow. something well, crazy just, like that. I remember. Uh, I remember shooting that you know all right before christmas and there were three units right. going and it was just, uh, <laughs> madness and chaos and not chaos but controlled chaos because all the ad's were doing a really great job of keeping things together but yeah. there's so much to shoot and you know like i said it's very ambitious and uh god so many people and effects everything was effects or lighting effects or you know mechanical effects walls exploding stuff all the time yeah, it was uh, it, it was it, it was lunatic. It was absolutely it's just just crazy. Um and uh and, and I think that we both did a really really we all did a great job. I don't know I if think you, everybody in the film did a, a terrific job, you know, everybody from all the crews, all the cast, you know, an extraordinary cast and uh, the script was tight, you know, beautifully shot, you know, by Roy Wagner. Yeah, Roy's yeah. the best. Yeah, no, it was it was really well done. Uh, so in, in that period of time, I don't need I don't want to uh, uh, specifically just talk about Nightmare on Elm Street three. Um, you came off of well, uh, God damn it! Well, <laughs> but didn't you come off of the Evil Dead right there? No, um, it's the Evil Dead two, right? I'm trying to think of it. We did that nightmare in 1986. No, I yeah, just came off Evil Dead 2. I got back in August. Um, I know I got called, I think, by Rachel in September. And by late September, I was working prepping Elm Street. So, yeah, it was one after the other. And, you know, a great period of time uh, to be an effects person. You're just going from one project to the other. Now, do you, do you find yourself, uh, I, I mean, it seems like we've swung back again to uh, to doing uh, special effects. Do you find yourself uh, still doing effects these days? No, I mean, I, I've, I've kind of delved into writing and trying to get my own movie projects made for the last eight years. And, uh, you know, it's a lot of work in itself, uh, the time writing, the time trying to get actors and financing. So I actually I have not picked up a sculpting tool or makeup brush in about eight years. Wow. Oh, I'm a I, dinosaur. Uh, yeah, you, you and guy. me both. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> I, I, I've been doing some, uh, some producing and, uh, yeah, lately, uh, it's because, uh, you, you get tired, right? <laughs> well, the, the times change. I mean, like I was emailing yesterday with the guy who, uh, who was one of the chief makeup 
designers on the Hellraiser series, and he's in a totally different line of work these days. And yep. but we mentioned in our emails together, you know, what a great time the 80s were and how much, you know, what fondness we both had for those times. And it was a different era because oh. not only was it before CGI, it was before all the makeup schools and it was before mm-hmm. face-off where producers watch face-off and they believe what they watch on that where you can create a Bigfoot costume overnight for 200 bucks. So there's a whole <laughs> mentality right. back then of, Producers and directors who valued practical effects because it was all practical back then, unless it was an optical. Yeah, um, right. But you know, you couldn't do you couldn't do your creatures unless they were big rubber monsters uh, or yeah, stop motion in some cases. And uh, moviegoers these days they get so used to everything being computer generated, um, they don't realize what a what a different world it was back then, where you had to. Well, the creation, it was on the set and you were filming it live with the actors. And and how how much work it was. I mean, it was this. This is the thing that I've noticed in, in talk because I've talked to a lot of people from from uh, the day back in the day. And the another, number one comment that everybody makes, especially if they still work in the business, is just how much harder it was. Back then, I mean, just just even from just the point of view of you didn't ab- absolutely know what you got, you know, <laughs> I mean, literally, you didn't see it until the next day. No, and it's like, you know, it's almost like taking a photograph with film instead of digital. Like today, you look in your camera, you see what you get, you can edit right there on the spot. But back right. then, I used to shoot a lot of black and white photography, and I had kind of a good idea when I was photographing something, what I was getting. but. I wouldn't really know until the film was developed. And often there were really wonderful surprises. And it's kind of like that with doing makeup effects and monsters back then where you kind of knew how it was going to work, but you didn't know how it would all finally edit together. Right. And exactly. Like you're saying about the, the amount of work. I mean, if you look at American Werewolf in London, that sequence that takes, you know, one minute or less on screen, that took Rick Baker and a team of six or seven people something like oh god almost a year to prep and you, you you literally make something you spend months on it and you put it in front of the camera and you shoot it a couple times and it's all of a sudden oh it's over that's it you know you kind of want to spend more time filming it but you you bring it out and you shoot it and that's what it was for and it's absolutely three months to make but we're done with it <laughs> Well, and I and I remember that the battle that we used to have with uh, in terms of being a production designer and talking with makeup effects people was that, you know, you had to know how to shoot the rubber monster. You 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 always had that push that, you know, if you spent, you know, between 10 and 50 thousand dollars on on, you know, uh, on rubber monsters and and. And. The producer wanted that to be on screen a lot. <laughs> You're going, well, yeah, but you know what? It only works for so long. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it only works for so long or it really only works well from this angle. Right, from this angle. Or... Like, uh, Roy, did, Roy Wagner did a great job of photographing plastic and rubber creations and making them look really, really real, as did you know Dean Cundy in The Thing. It was all rubber and... They're both really brilliant at lighting, as being lighting cameramen. 
taking oh. care to shoot things correctly. Oh yeah, well, well, Roy, Roy was there on. Um, he and I came from Witchboard. I was working on just effects on on Witchboard, and and this is also the time where me I would work. I was working in effects and production and as a, and as a, a art director all kind of at the same time. So <laughs> it, it was wow. a time where we were all, uh, you know, a lot of people were, uh, were professional amateurs. I was a professional amateur, you know, um, TJ Bowser. I'm still a professional amateur. TJ wants, wants to ask you a couple of questions. Yeah. Hey Mark. Uh, Dude. so you worked on two films, uh, that are actually more popular amongst my group of friends. One of being uh, Slumber Party Massacre. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> What's the other? And the other one would be The Mutilator. Ah, uh, yes. Well, uh, one I had very minimal involvement. The other had major involvement. Okay, please what tell me. What do you want to know? Please tell me that you had major involvement in The Mutilator. <laughs> I did. Yeah, oh, yes. Uh, specifically the hook kill. Band, yeah. What's that? Uh, the hook. Ah, the famous hook. <laughs> well, Buddy Cooper... Um, the director, writer, producer, he, uh, when he was devising his horror story, the mutilator, he, he decided to, uh, make all of the kills in the movie stem from it. It is a set in a fishing town. So he used fishing implements and, uh, you know, various hooks and, you know, things like that. And the one for the woman who's played by Connie Rogers, uh, I forget her character's name, but the actress is Connie Rogers and Buddy decided he would, uh, kill her with a gaff <clears throat> and of course early in the beginning early in the beginning beginning in the early when the film started i didn't i didn't know anything about fishing implements or and then buddy's describing what each person was killed with and he goes well we're going to kill this girl with a gaff and i hear what's a gaff he goes, you know what a fishing hook is and i go yeah this tiny little thing about the size of your thumb and he goes well it's a gaff is huge right? only, only it's huge <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, so where's this gaff going in? And he described it. And I thought, oh, okay, and it, uh, there's an X rating already. Um, <laughs> but let me tell you the, the funny, there's a couple of funny stories about that. Um, a lot of the film, we did, you know, some very bloody, very gore, gory effects on bare flesh. Like the guy gets his chest ripped open and, you know, a deputy gets his leg cut off and there's, you know, Big Ed gets slammed into a wall and he's, you know, disemboweled. And, you know, Still blood going. and gore on bare skin everywhere. This thing was shot with the victim, Connie, wearing a sweatshirt and blue jeans. So you didn't see any bare flesh. And if we'd done that, it would never would have gotten past the censors. But <laughs> as it was, we put Connie in a fake workbench. So it's like Rodney in the Elm Street. Only her head right. and shoulders and arms are sticking out and are real. Oh, exactly. The same from thing her chest. Yeah. 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 Everything else from her collarbone down is a fake body. And the, the legs were puppeteered by little rods. And she's fully clothed with a sweatshirt and, and uh, blue jeans. And we're on set. And we'd uh, taken this big polyfoam body. And we cut a big chamber out of the uh, abdomen area and put in condoms filled with blood. Like, just like a dozen of them. And the actor puts in the gaff as we're filming. And this is big hook. It's about a foot across. And he shoves it in and it comes out and it grabbed a piece of condom, which didn't burst. So it looked like the <laughs> intestine was coming out. And as we're filming it, 
I look over at the boom girl, Lisa Schnall, and she had tears coming down her face because it was so brutal. And, you know, <laughs> oh my God. there's no way they could keep this in the film. And, of course, it's the one thing people remember. Kind of like you, TJ. <laughs> <laughs> I have another question. Why does the killer get naked before getting in the pool? <laughs> what? Why does the killer get <clears throat> naked before he gets in the pool? <laughs> Why does the killer what? Get naked before he gets in the pool. Wait, who? In that pool sequence, in that film, when they're in the pool. Yeah, where it's all the blue light and everything. Yeah, the killer gets naked whenever he stalks them inside the pool. Oh, I don't remember that. <laughs> oh. I haven't seen the movie in a long, long time. Well, I guess so his clothes don't get wet. I don't know. <laughs> well, I'll ask Buddy the next time I talk to him that. Well, it's it's an overarching uh, fetish. Oh, see? I see. <laughs> Come on. Well, Come on, of course. It's been a while well, since I've seen the film. Uh, so, I, you know, probably as soon as I see him do that, I'll remember. But it's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a special film. And the, the coolest thing about that film is the uh, sitcom sounding uh, theme song. Oh, yeah. And that song is so damn catchy. When you hear it, you can't stop singing it. And, uh, You'll probably have me singing it the rest of the day. Yeah. <laughs> no, that was a, it was a great film to work on. It was so much fun. The cast and crew just really clicked. We all had a blast. And when people ask me what was the most fun movie you worked on, I always say The Mutilator because it was just terrifically fun and wonderful people I'm still friends with today. Yeah, it was a great little project. And uh, yeah, I guess I'm making Mutilator too. I saw something about that the other day. I don't know anything about it, but I'm going to have to call him and tell him, you know, what he goes up to. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just jump on that crew. There you go. <laughs> so you He's also have to uh, work with that. Nine Inch Nails. Yeah, Nine Inch Nails. So it's another one of the many projects I went into not knowing who I was working with. Uh, my friend Phil Duffin was he was the art director on Evil Dead 2 and he called me and said I'm doing a music video and I need these walls to have these gigantic ulcerous wounds I have to spew pus and I'm going sure what what band is it he goes Nine Inch Nails and I said who <laughs> and actually I became a real Nine Inch Nine Inch Nails fan after that I really liked their music at the time I didn't know they were there you go and uh, there you- that was <laughs> That was a weird job. It was fun because uh, it was pretty easy and it was uh, unusual in that usually I make a prosthetic, you know, nose or a, a forehead or something that goes on an actor. It's pretty small. In this case, I was making, with my assistant Mark Daniela, we were making like three foot long <clears throat> big wounds that had to be molded. I you know, basically sculpt them on a big piece of uh, wood or something and mold them. So we had these huge plastic molds and we'd make them as prosthetic appliances that would be glued to the set wall. We would love this, Nick. Yeah, I love it. I love this lot. Yeah, they were glued to this wall of the set, which was made to look like a big red, red sort of red-colored wet clay cave with all this water and everything. And uh, the wounds had to spew like pus all over the band. So my assistant Mark and I made a you know, big five gallon drums of pus colored methicel and we didn't have a really creative method of shooting it all over the band so we basically got a huge ladder 
on, on cue, we would just dump the shit right down. The street <laughs> and just by, by force of gravity and weight, the stuff would, you know, go down the slide and turn and blast out all over the set. And uh, it was crazy. It was, it was so weird, man. There's something to be said for, you know, just 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 standing on a ladder and dumping it out. Yeah, so you know, I can now say I, I ejaculated pus all over Trinidad. So <laughs> many people lay claim to that. There, there you go. Yeah, good, good, good work if you can get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I did. Now, did you work on Texas Chainsaw Massacre Three? No, I didn't ever work on any of the Texas Chainsaw films. Oh, uh, okay. I thought that maybe I I'd worked. Tell you. No, I worked with Toby Hooper briefly on uh, assisting a friend of mine on Toolbox Murders. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I just didn't get <laughs> on, got introduced to him and he had a cigar and all that stuff. But no, I, 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 I worked with Toby Hooper on a uh, on uh, yeah, Freddy's Freddy's Nightmares, the TV studio. Oh, yeah. TV series. And uh, and he was doing the first one. And uh, I remember. uh I, I had to go into, I had to have, you know, that first design meeting with him. And the thing is, is we had already, of course, you know, kind of put together what the design was going to be because, you know, you, if you're doing TV or the director is kind of, you know, the guest director of the week. Um, exactly. But, but having, <laughs> having the first meeting with him and, and he's, uh, he's like, uh, I walk in, I walk in and I sit down and I go, okay, well, so, so I am Mick Strawn and, and we'd actually met before and, and, um, he goes, uh, you know, oh, man, I, I was thinking, uh, you know, it'd be good, uh, I, if the, uh, whole feeling of, uh, we could do this, uh, 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 and he went on and on and on like that for like 20 fucking minutes. And I'm just, wow. and I, and I just was sitting there going, holy crap, what the, what the hell is this guy talking about? And he, and he, and it went on and on, and 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 you know, it, it seemed to be like in two parts. Like, first of all, he did that for twenty minutes straight. And then he looks at me like I'm supposed to answer, and I kind of <laughs> started to say something, and then he went on for another ten minutes, and and then he just kind of uh, looked down at the uh, his notebook and started to write on it, and I got up and walked out of the room. <laughs> Oh God! So how do you how do you interpret that? And then well, give what that you was want just hope he forgets in the meantime and just do what I he just wants. I just did what I wanted, you know. Yeah, sounds like and, the best way. And I'm not got any, and I didn't get any objections or anything from him. I uh, <laughs> I mean, it was it was like people people go. So you worked with Toby Hooper? And I go well, well, kind of, uh, kind of. <laughs> I, I kind of, I, I think <laughs> I still to this day have no idea what he said. And, and I, I, I remember one thing definitely for sure. I thought to myself, I swear to God, if I get called to the set and, and, and he asked me a question, I am just gonna not, I am going to fucking lose it. <laughs> Well, what do you? What else? Yeah, I mean, I, 
Especially when you're doing TV where the director really is coming into something established and you they right. can only change so many things. They can't come in and say, well, we want to change the whole look of all the sets. Like, forget it, you know. Right. And the thing is, is that show rolled. I mean, it was just it was crazy. We were doing something like 20 sets per episode and we were doing them, uh, you know, on a five day basis. And then we would have a meeting on Friday uh, for lunch, you would have a meeting about the one that was going to happen next week. <laughs> that was, and that was it. And we were just building sets as fast as, and the thing is the writers had no concept as they never, they never seemed to have a concept of how their words affect you. I, I, I mean, I don't think that I ever saw a writer in all that time. We did 22 episodes. I don't think I saw one writer that, uh, held the writing in check for uh, what it is we could do in a given period of time. You know what I mean? Well, you think that most writers would have an, a concept if they'd been on the set and they realized uh, what, you know, something has to be made and manufactured and filmed. I mean, it really helps to be right. a writer yeah. and have experience on set. Like when I'm writing, I'm, I'll be conscious of something in it write a sentence and go, Jesus Christ, this could take, you know, three weeks to film and be a million dollars. Do I really need this? I, right. I mean, it's yeah. great that writer writers today let themselves go, but at a certain point you have to, you know, you have to write well, sort of within your budget. Like if you're going to, on a $2 million Elm Street film, you've got to consider that when you're writing. Right. Exactly. It just makes sense. But, well, you know, on, that's... I have a question for you, Mick. How much prep time did you have on Elm Street 3, and how many people did you have working, building all those sets? Are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Uh, what, how much time? Yeah, yeah, just for a sec. Uh, <laughs> so you're asking how much time did I have? Um, how much prep time did you have, and how many people did you have building all those many sets for so many units and all that? Well, <laughs> it's, here, here's the thing is uh, I started in the effects, doing the mechanical effects, and uh, and we were waiting for a director. Uh, they were uh, – they were uh, – we had a script, and uh, and they were still looking for a director. And I came on just about at the same time as the director – because I was I was doing the effects I uh, uh, with Peter Chesney, and I I literally I really I really walked down on the uh, on the last day of uh, of because I worked in Chesney Chesney's shop with him for a while I was turning in the paperwork because I was the one that was keen all that stuff <laughs> and I was turning in the paperwork to New Line Cinema and I met Jerry Olson who had just been hired. Oh, yeah. Just he, they had just hired him to be the one of the uh, executive producers, and uh, we got into the elevator, and and I said, "Hey, Jerry, how's it going?" And I'd known Jerry from before, and uh, I go, he goes, "Yeah, well, what are you up to?" I says, "Well, I I was just finishing up the effects on this uh, Nightmare on Elm Street film." And he goes, yeah, he, I just got hired for that. And I go, Hey, you know what? You need a production designer or you need an art director. <laughs> I said, tell you what, <laughs> I just finished the effects. And if you'd like an art director that also knows how all the effects work, I'd be the perfect choice. And he gave me the job 
in seven floors. <laughs> wow, that's a great story. <laughs> that was wow. it. And, and, mm. and I, I walked out straight into the meeting with him and he introduced me as the, as the art director. And I was like, all right. <laughs> that's a cool story. I love it. Wow. Yeah, it was fun. It was, you know, it, it was something that would probably only actually happen back then. Right. You know, I've got a, you just reminded me, I've got a funny Jerry Olson story. I don't know if it's funny. It's kind of different. We were shooting the uh, Jennifer scene where she goes to the TV and it was all being rigged up and crapped by Peter Chesney. Right, right. And we had the, uh, Kurtzman and I had the Jennifer head-to-toe body mounted on some, like a, what do you call it? A, uh, like it, was a, it was a seesaw, yeah, a seahorse or a sawhorse, yeah. Saw, sawhorse, yeah. Sawhorse, right. Wooden sawhorse. And we're just yeah. waiting for, you know, whatever to be rigged or lit. And I had one or two extra Jennifer heads, Penelope Sudor life cast or the grimace and the whole wig and everything. And they're sitting there and Jerry comes over in his nice, you know, outfit. And he, yeah. Always he kind of, impeccably dressed and his hair was. Yeah. Happy. He had really nice trousers and shoes. I remember. Right, he really did. He always and, did. You know, I'm there in my latex covered jeans, but the camera was pointed pretty much at the back of the Jennifer dummy because it's about to go through the TV. We had a few cameras, but it was mostly three quarter angle rear angle. So you don't you see, you see the side of her face. Maybe right. you don't see her face front on. So Jerry comes over and he looks down to the two heads sitting on chairs and he kind of looks at me and he kind of, you know, goes up and down a few times on, the, on his heels. He goes, so if we're not seeing her face, why did you make heads with faces? <laughs> said, well, you know, if you if you chucked out ten grand for each head, wouldn't you want me to show up with something other than a styrofoam wig mannequin? <laughs> and he kind of, you know, shook his head and goes, mm, "Yeah, I guess." I guess. And walked away. <laughs> like, you know, because we might see it is the, is the real answer, but. Uh, you know, so, and plus the camera camera angle might change, but he he wanted to put in his two cents, and I kind of said, "Well, you know, I I uh, I have the only dealing with him. <laughs> I have the best Jerry Olson story. Like you you pointed out that he was he was a clothes horse, right? And and mm-hmm. his hair and his hair was always just like perfect, and always had this slick back look to it, right? Um, yep. I I got dragged into a meeting. <laughs> to uh do some stuff for uh John the John Waters film that he did uh at New Line Cinema. Um what was the one uh I know the one you're talking about with the dance contest? What was it called? Hairspray. Hairspray. Yeah. And and they're doing uh they're doing some reshoots for it and they tied it into some reshoots that I was doing for something else, right? And and so I was thrown into the meeting with everybody. We merged the two meetings together. And um, so Jerry Olson is the one that's actually uh, producing both both of the projects that we're working on there. And uh, and they're asking me to 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 work up some sets for hairspray and stuff. And we're in the middle of this meeting and John Waters is in the meeting Uh and he's sitting and and I'm 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 not kidding about this. This is absolutely there's 15 people sitting around, you know, that the conference table over at New Line Cinema. And um and all of a sudden just there's a lag in the conversation, right? And all of a sudden, uh 
Waters just turns to Jerry. He's like uh, uh, sitting like two seats down and he just t- leans down and he looks over at Jerry. And he goes, so J- Jerry, h- how did you get your hair to do that? <laughs> and, he, and Jerry goes, oh, uh, what do you mean? Because Jerry does. Jerry always tried to answer really slick. Jerry, Jerry yeah. reminded me of somebody that had come from, he, he kind of had been poor so that you got this feeling that he was playing at, at being a, a producer, you know, <laughs> like, like it was like he, he, he was playing the producer that you saw on TV, you know. I just got that feeling from, and, and yeah, I'm not kidding. I know exactly what you mean. You know what I mean? And so, so Jerry just, just is absolutely caught. He goes, uh, I, 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 he, and, and so Waters just goes right at it. He goes, you know, because, you know, that's a chemical, right? You know, is that DuPont that makes that? Or, <laughs> and it just had Jerry, it threw Jerry off so bad he was just stuttering in the middle of this meeting. He was, he was so, bad, uh, bad. <laughs> it was hilarious. I had, a, I had a similar experience with the executive producer of Java Heat in Indonesia. He was this American guy who had pretty much funded the movie himself. And he always wanted to be involved. You know, his, his son was directing, but, uh, and he's a very nice guy, uh, Rob Allen. He would come in. His son was directing. Connor Allen was directing. But Rob would come in after things had been decided and, and ask me, well, what are we doing for this? And I'd explain. And he'd go, well, no, we should do this. So I was kind of getting two different inputs from the director and his father, who's executive producer. So I was like, God, who do I listen to here? It's really difficult for me. But Rob was kind of he was big. He's kind of overbearing. Very nice man. And we, we became friends later. And But early on, I just didn't know how to, you know, disarm the guy. And he was always kind of putting people on edge. Right. My crew. And I heard his birthday was coming up. And I heard, what, oh, it's today. It's tonight or whatever. And he was kind of barking orders to everybody on the set and, you know, making things a little bit weird. And I went up to him and said, Rob, I need to tell you something. And he, he was kind of thrown by me even saying that. He was what? He was expecting some, you know, um, some attack about some effect I'm doing, whatever. I said, right. I just want to wish you a happy birthday. And I stuck my hand out. And he was so thrown by that. He goes, well, thank you. You know, nobody said happy birthday to me today. I said, well, <laughs> I want to wish you a happy birthday. And like, after that, he's like, you know, he didn't know what to think. And, uh, and it just kind of broke the ice. It was kind of, kind of cool. That's <laughs> really cool. That's really cool. <laughs> you know, you it, it you know as well as me, you have to kind of know how to deal with people. And it's this is say it, it's a di- difficult director or somebody who's you know the rare asshole you get. You got especially with actors, you have to know how to work with them and use the a little psychology you, to to make it easier on everybody because otherwise you'll be in for a you know a shit show for the duration. I, I, of well, abso- absolutely. This is this this, and it's a hard business, and you're doing long hours with these people, and you're doing incredibly stressful things, and uh, and 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 you're all artists, you know. So there's always that that feeling that uh, that everybody's trying to uh, to put put forth their their most their stamp on it. Yeah, yeah, to put their stamp on it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, listen, Mark. This is this has been absolutely great. Uh, 
I wanted, I wanted to tell you that we are, uh, I've been, um, doing some little animation pieces and that we're going to go back over and take a look at this and, and, uh, listen to because this has been a great recording for that and we might actually uh animate a lot of these uh a, one of these stories would that be okay with you yeah sure yeah great so uh, yeah. And, and in fact i i'll tell you what i'll do is within the next couple of days i'm gonna i'm gonna send you one of the ones that we've done just so that you can see uh you, you can see that we're not doing any disrespect you know it's uh it's a lot of fun, but listen, you have been absolutely great. It's been good talking with you, Mick and you too, TJ. Thanks, man. Uh, yeah. It's th- thanks for coming by. Uh, uh, happy to. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I, I really appreciate it. And, uh, we will continue to, uh, uh, stay in touch and, and, uh, I'll let you know, uh, if there's a piece that we're going to use from it. Okay. I'd love to see it. Well, it was good talking to both of you guys. Thanks for having me on the show. Thank you for coming. Thanks on. a lot. Thanks a lot. Alrighty. Take care guys. Okay. But bye.
Find yourself, find yourself afraid 